fascinating. Yes, sir, it is. Weaponized, time-delayed, targeted positron radiation. Remember, gentlemen, I've got lifetimes of experience, few of which were spent as a scientist. Explain this to me slowly. In the simplest of terms, Captain, the radiation ionized the particles in our components. Instead of bombarding the system, however, it slowly irradiated the molecules. When the photonic ionization occurred at sufficient levels, the system was destroyed. Think of it like a bomb on a wick. While the explanation is not perfectly accurate, it demonstrates the process effectively enough. Okay, but why now? It doesn't make sense to cripple a ship days or weeks after an encounter. We have hypothesized that the process was affected by unforeseen forces. The Bentham know as much of us as we of they. It's unlikely they engineered the process to properly affect the redundancy of Starfleet ships. Or that they wished it to affect us at all. Okay, true. What was affected? Everything, Captain. Everything? Yes, sir. But that's the bad news. The good news is that it's relatively easy to fix. Operationally. We've tested the procedure on non-essential systems with positive results, and all teams have been provided with an operations manual to be implemented upon your approval. Very well, gentlemen. Let's get started. Time would seem is a factor. Aye, aye, Captain. All hands, now hear this. Engineering teams and leads are to initiate Pentad Beta. Science teams and leads to offer support. Reports to be filed as instructed in line four of the operation manual. Operations should be concluded by 1543 hours. That is all. Excellent work, gentlemen. By 1543 hours... We've blown a plasma conduit. Graber, Mantigo, get those crewmen and get the hell out of here. I'll start repairs on the conduit. Move, move, move! Captain, you must get to the bridge. If we can't repair the leak soon, you'll need to formulate a new plan to stop the positronic attack. Clear engineering, then. Commander, I'm not leaving until every last crewman is out. Impossible, sir. Sealing the section without repairing the damage will decrease power and impede our ability to stop further damage via our positron neutralization. It is imperative we repair that leak. Get our men out of here, Captain. We can handle this. Damn it, damn it. Mantigo, give him a hand. We need to get these men to sickbay. Commander, grab that plasma extinguisher. I'll patch the conduit. Very well. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporter, Mizugai. We thank him and all our other patrons for their monthly support. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Admirals! You're listening to episode 209 of Priority One Podcast, the premier Star Trek online podcast, recorded live on Thursday, February 12th, 2015, and available for download or streaming on Monday, February 16th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Jace. I'm Cookie. 
And I'm Elijah. Well, what do we have in store this week, Elijah? This week, we're taking a break from so much content as we've produced some amazing episodes the last two weeks, and we're going to keep the episode a bit shorter, starting with Trek It Out, and we'll be covering the latest edition of Star Trek Magazine, and it's chock full of Voyager. In Star Trek Online News, we continue our coverage of the fifth anniversary event, including some in-depth discussion about grinding and, and what that really means. Finally, before we wrap this show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. We're back to recording our episodes live, so if you're interested in joining the live audience, then visit PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash live on Thursday nights around 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time. And if you can't make it to the live stream but want to catch all the content that lands on the cutting room floor from week to week, then we have a way for you to get your hands on the live, unedited ramblings of the Priority One podcast crew. Patreon, like other crowdfunding sites, is designed to give fans of a project the opportunity to support creators like us. But instead of just a one-time donation, Patreon allows you to contribute monthly to your creation of choice, becoming a subscriber of sorts. For example, by donating $10 a month, you'll have access to those live, unedited recordings that Cookie was talking about mere moments ago. But we have other tiers for donations, starting from a dollar per episode on up. So we invite you to check out patreon.com forward slash priority one and consider supporting Priority One Podcast on a monthly recurring basis. And even if you haven't donated or just simply can't, then you can still show your support by chatting with us. Visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash priority one and comment on our posts. Answer our community question or mention us on Twitter and start a conversation there. We are so very grateful for those of you who have been able to contribute. We've already hit our monthly financial goals to just keep the lights running. Now, anything beyond that goes to supplement the running costs of priority one. For instance, Vegas coming up in August. Any additional funds that are collected through Patreon will help offset the cost of attending that convention and covering it for you. So consider supporting Priority One Podcast through Patreon. And again, for just $10 a month, you can get access to the unedited recordings and ramblings that you miss out on Monday to Monday. And if you have a special skill or interest that you'd like to contribute to the production of Priority One Podcast, like audio editing, graphic designs, blogging, or something else we haven't thought of, then reach out to us at incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com or visit the website and click on the red shirt Uncle Sam. And if you're looking for a group to play Star Trek Online with, who better than the Priority One Fleet? Join the weekly alerts for some community fun hosted on our twitch.tv forward slash Priority One channel by Airborne of the P1 Fleet. Now let's check out Star Trek Magazine and our voyage into the Delta Quadrant. I don't know. Then let's check it out. So this week in Trek It Out, we want to take a moment to talk about Voyager. It's now been over 20 years since Caretaker, the series pilot, aired on January 16th, 1995 for the very first time. Now, as a Star Trek online podcast, it goes without saying that Voyager has been massively influential. Not to mention finally bringing a female captain into the forefront also for the first time. I actually have not seen a lot of Voyager. It started just as I was finishing high school, so I just dated myself. Uh, and I just never really got started with it. I'd catch the odd episode here and there and wonder at the strange, unfamiliar characters. The Q and Borg showing up, and holy crap, what is that CGI thing? I've never seen anything like it before on Star Trek. That last one was Species 8472 when I randomly saw Scorpion 
after having not seen Voyager in about two years, or as we now call them, the Undine. As part of their homage to this occasion, Star Trek Magazine had a pretty candid interview with Rick Berman. Now, some find his role in the evolution of the franchise controversial, and certainly had a bigger and bigger role in things by the time Voyager came to be. Still, he rarely gives interviews, and I found some of the things he said surprisingly insightful and open and honest. So Star Trek Magazine asked him how satisfied were you with Voyager on the whole, and if you could go back and change anything, what would it be? And Berman answered, When Deep Space Nine ended, we had the luxury of Voyager being alone on the air. It had been seven years since we were doing just one show, so that was delightful. But at the same time, I was working a great deal on the Star Trek movies. We were always writing or prepping or shooting or in post-production on a movie. I have nothing but good feelings about Voyager and its seven seasons. There are characters on the show that I wish had been developed further, and I'm sure that the actors who played those characters wish that they'd been developed further. But one of the prices you have to pay on these type of television shows is that you really have to focus on three or four people. And he says, I don't want to get into anything controversial right now, and goes on to say several controversial things. He says, there were some people involved who I probably wish hadn't been. There were some characters that I think were never developed, though God knows the writers tried, to the same extent that the characters on The Next Generation or DS9 were. Every character on those shows was somebody you knew and understood, and their purpose within the cast was very clear. That was not totally true with a few of the characters on Voyager. But if you look at Janeway, at The Doctor, at Seven of Nine, there were some wonderfully developed characters on the show, and I've got nothing but good feelings about the time I spent involved in Voyager. I have to say, reading this article, as well as playing Delta Rising, have actually got me looking forward to watching Voyager in my very slow run through all of Trek. And I've certainly enjoyed hearing some of the cast speak at the conventions about their experiences, to say nothing of actually getting to meet Garrett Wong, which was awesome. Uh, but what about you guys, Elijah, Cookie? What are your thoughts about Voyager and its place in Trek history, having seen a lot more of it than I have? Well, it opened up a whole new section of space that we hadn't really explored before. I think... Did they go there once, one time, with with Q? I don't know if that was the Delta Quadrant. I think it was. Yeah, I guess yeah. technically it would have been because they said it was Borg space, right? Yeah, but that's all we ever saw of it, and then now we got to have the whole thing opened up to us. So the possibilities were endless with that series, which made it exciting to watch because you never really knew what was going to happen next. And the game has made me rewatch certain episodes, like the Harry Kim and Jet storyline, and that's helped me to understand Voyager a little better also. Uh, I have mixed feelings about Voyager. I think in, in order of what I enjoy watching would be The Next Generation, the original series, Enterprise and Voyager kind of swap, and then, and then Deep Space Nine would be probably my least favorite. Um, with respect to Voyager, you know, I think that it, like the other series, took some time to get its... Um, to get its footing, right? Um, I think that Voyager honestly picked up when Kess left and the story with Seven of Nine got into play. There was a lot more, you know, questioning the human condition that was involved, you know, mm -hmm. at least through Jerry Ryan's character, Seven of Nine. Um, but overall, like, I don't... I don't go through the first two or three seasons if I go on Netflix and I want a Star Trek fix. I will usually go toward, towards the later series. Um, I think that it had a really good premise, you know, the idea of being stranded in unknown space. But they played it safe. They played it very safe with the story for Voyager. 
um, and how they and how character conflict and how character distress was told and um, and explained in, in in terms of plot writing. Now you're a big Battlestar Galactica fan. Yes, yes. So I think you know, that relates. Exactly, very much so, because Battlestar Galactica is that story of humans trying to survive in unknown space, in an unknown environment, just trying to make it to a home. Um, now, I'm not saying that Voyager needed to be as dark in that aspect, but I don't think we saw, you know, the, the turmoil, the, the conflict of being stranded in space like you saw in a, a, a show like Battlestar Galactica. You know, instead we got a lot of the cookie-cutter Star Trek-type episodes where, you know, oh, well, it's a holodeck and it's Captain Proton on the holodeck. It's, you know, a lot of these types of episodes that I don't... I think that, um, you know, the storytelling was just very safe. You know, it was like, this is what Star Trek is and this is what we have to stay. We have to stay in this box of, of not pushing characters to the brink of certain death. We saw a little bit of that in a few episodes like Year of Hell, but generally, though, it was still kind of very almost first and second season next generation where when you're over seven years, it's kind of it just gets to be the same thing. You get to start seeing the same kind of television over and over again, which is why I actually appreciated Enterprise because Enterprise was a little bit grittier. It was a little darker Um, and I liked Enterprise's, you know, character development. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, um, I don't hate Voyager. I just think that it, it had a really good plot that could have been taken to to be better television. Uh, I think if Voyager was written nowadays, man, that'd be some good TV. Yeah, I agree. I I enjoyed it because of Star Trek, of course, but I really was um, pissed off at the ending. <laughs> I really, it was so it was such this big climax. I wanted to see them come home more than what they showed. They just showed the ship coming into maybe it was Earth Space Dock, I don't know. And that's it. I didn't get to see any human interaction and I was so mad. And I was like that that, that can't be the end. Uh-huh. Surely that's not the end. We want to see the actual rewards for all that hard work and we didn't get to see it. And that really made me mad. Yeah, and then the only thing we see past that is Janeway's an admiral and kind of right. like mean the Picard. <laughs> right, right. Uh, I, you know, I hope that if they are in fact writing a new series, that we that they're writing good television and that they don't box themselves into the classic clean, you know, warp core engineering, you know, bridge that it, it's just a little grittier, a little more. That's something I do like about the the JJ films is that, you know, there's there is a little bit of story there. You know, there is a little bit of character development and you know a little bit of the the human condition, albeit very kind of surface on the surface but it was still it was still there um and i want to see i want to see stories like fringe you know like i want to see that kind of storytelling where it's a broad it's broader strokes it's not little contained episodes one or two little contained episodes i want to see broad strokes of storytelling um where for instance the zindi arc i think that could have been good storytelling in in enterprise um, but Voyager, I don't know. I just Voyager was pigeonholed into the same box that that Deep Space Nine was, and and the Next Generation. If you're interested in the full interview and a ton of other Voyager-related features, including one by Star Trek Online's own Christine Thompson, all about recreating Voyager itself in Stowe, be sure to check out issue 52 of Star Trek Magazine. 
Well, discover something you think the rest of our listeners would enjoy hearing about. A new advancement in science or tech or an article that you might have read. Then send it over to us via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Let's find out what happened this week in Star Trek Online. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. All right, admirals, another week and more Stow News. First, we'll talk patch notes. Now, this is some pretty big news. The Foundry is back. Woohoo! Now, this wasn't necessarily in the release notes, but announcements have been made, for instance, through Star Trek Online's Facebook page. Now, not only has the Foundry been reactivated, but now when you travel through sector space, when coming to a system, you'll see several Foundry missions pop up. And it tells you how long they are. This is fantastic. That way, when you're flying up to a sector map, you can explore a little bit, maybe try out something new. And you won't be in for a very long-winded episode if you're not really into that. You'll see exactly how long the Foundry mission is going to play for, which is a great feature. It is. Because sometimes, you know, most players, you know, we've got maybe an hour or two to play a night. And we want to make sure that we know what we're going to get ourselves into for that hour or two. That's really exciting. Cookie, you seem really excited about the Foundry. What is it that you like most about this idea? Well, the thing is, when you look for a Foundry mission, you don't know which one's going to be good. You don't know where it's going to be in reference to where you are. And now you just travel around, and every time you go to a system, you'll see the little Foundry missions pop up. I saw that today. One was like two and a half hours. One was 27 minutes. One was an hour. I was like, oh, it's like a little bit for everyone. There's always going to be something that fits. And I'm going to play a lot more Foundry missions now. It's as simple as that. I think this really satiates that exploration feeling, you know? I'm going to be flying through sector space and boop, I can play a mission. Let me try it. Yeah, I'm eager for this. I was just talking with Hippie John about how most of the Foundry missions that I have played have been ones that have been personally recommended to me. I didn't really go in and search. Like, the search feature, everybody knows, is not that great to begin with. And I didn't really know how to sift through them or get a feel for it other than going on the forums and looking at the threads or doing challenge missions or that sort of thing. And last night I did Green Dragoons and Hippie John's contest-winning entries from the New Year's contest. And they were great missions, by the way. I recommend them. Hippie John's is called The Chimes at Midnight and Green Dragoons' Eve of Resolutions, which actually work really well together. I wonder if that factored into them being chosen because they're sort of like the KDF and Fed side of the same story almost. Very cool. Now, also in this week's patch... Bridge officers can now be converted into training manuals. And I hear it's a very painful process for the bridge officers. (laughs) I'll be here all week. So when the new bridge officer system was introduced, players could not take a bridge officer and take a power of theirs, an ability of theirs, and apply them to an existing bridge officer. This was something that they were aware of and we spoke about with our Vera during one of our first interviews with him for the anniversary event. But now, to begin the process, in either the inventory or the bridge officer candidate window, right-click on the officer and choose to create the manual. It's just a few-step process. We encourage you to check out the patch notes on the official Star Trek online website. But I'm looking forward to finally putting to good use those bridge officers that have been waiting patiently on the bench. There have also been some changes to trading with the bridge officers, so make sure that you familiarize yourself with it. Like, if a bridge officer is bound to you, the manual will be bound as well and such. It's explained better on the official post. So if your crafting slots are all taken up by, let's say, Omega Tech upgrades, 
this is a way to get around that and get training manuals? <laughs> well, it's, I think it's mostly to get training manuals for abilities that were not available through captain skills or the trainer NPC. But you still don't need to use crafting in order to make these. Correct. Correct. You do not need to. It's essentially right-click, and a few clicks later, whatever power you wanted will become a manual. Now, to go a little deeper into what Jace was saying, let's say, for instance, you have a an episodic bridge officer and you want to dismiss them, but you want the power. That training manual from that bridge officer that ends up being in your inventory cannot be traded. So it's stuck to you, like Jay said earlier. Yeah, like the Jem Hadar boff from Facility 4028, Mm -hmm. he comes with Torpedo Spread 3, which is one of those rare skills. But he can only make a manual for you. Which is great because I have those guys in my roster actually active, but I've never used them. I really have never used them. They're just kind of like vanity. Hey, I got this bridge officer, but I never use them. So that's really exciting. Mm -hmm. Another big ticket item in this week's patch notes is that the purchasable bank slots have been increased for your main inventory, your bank storage, and your account bank. So when you go to purchase an increase of bank slots for either one of those bags you're going to get actually a new bonus. So that's excellent for players that always feel like they're running out of space. And that wraps up some key features in this week's release notes. We encourage you to check those out on the official Star Trek website. Links, of course, will be in the show notes. Next up, I wanted to follow up on the conversation we had last week about the new R&D XP boosters with a little bit of math. I looked at the small and the large R&D boosts because I was concerned about their cost-to-value ratio, and I know I had read something on the subreddit about them not being a very good value, uh, and I just wanted to look at the math for myself, as usual. So the small R&D boost costs 200 zen and winds up giving you a total of 2,000 research XP. Now, at the time that I did the math, the, the dilithium exchange fluctuates, but 200 zen would give me about 32,800 dilithium. Now, for 18,000 dilithium, I can start an R&D 20-hour research project for 6,000 research XP and just click Finish Now. That would give me 6,000 for only a little over half of that amount of dilithium. So that's a little concerning to me. So I checked the large R&D boost. Well, maybe the bigger one's more efficient, right? So that one costs 800 zen and gives you a total of 10,000 research XP. 800 Zen would get me about 131,000 dilithium. For 126,000 dilithium, I could click Finish Now on six 20-hour research projects, getting a total of 36,000 R&D XP. What? So I'm not really sure what the concept was here. I don't think I missed anything. I, I looked at it pretty closely and checked the original thread that people made and redid the math myself. But it really seems like these are not a good deal compared to what you could do with that exact same Zen. You know, some people don't like some of the other boosters, but there's not something as clear cut with this where you could use that same Zen to just buy more XP or just buy more commendation points for doffing. But in this, you could use that same Zen to just buy more research XP. So that's troublesome, I think. Because with crafting, time is really the enemy. If you cut down your time, that gives you a lot more crafting XP. Mm-hmm. Well, not just that, but what ends up happening is that there is therefore no incentive to purchase the small or large R&D boosts, right? Because not only does it cost more in the Zendalithium conversion, but you're also getting less XP from it, from that investment. 
Whereas, now that you can slot more than one research project, like Jace was saying, you finish those all up and you take that, that lithium hit, it's still cheaper and you're getting more XP. Right. These would have to give you about four times as much to arguably be worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Hmm. Fascinating. So now I know, for right now, don't use the small R&D boosts or the large R&D boosts. At least not from the Zen store. Not if I want to progress. Or if you want to get a head start, just pay the dilithium to speed it up. Right, yeah. Yeah, just pay that dilithium. So, Cookie, you also had a bit of homework this last week. Uh, we were talking about the Samsar Cruiser last week, and you said that you got your hands on it, and I was curious to see what your experience was it this week. Well, first of all, it is a beautiful ship. Its design is one of my favorites because of the color scheme. <laughs> but it looks pretty, too, but the color scheme. I absolutely love the pink trails. It makes me happy if you watch that. It's just quality of life improvement right there but on average i parsed around 10k lower than i did with my tier 6 breen sarthelm carrier so like i mentioned before it is a little engineering heavy so i wasn't able to use all the tack or science abilities that i wanted to and that did kind of affect my dps quite a bit the mastery for the ship is called emergency response which reduces your hull recharge time by 10 percent when your hull is below 50 percent so that was helpful but all in all, I did miss my tier 6 Breen Sarthel carrier. If anybody's like me and they only use free ships, that's the one that I, <laughs> as far as the, comparing the two. It is a nice ship. It was really easy to turn and maneuver, and that's important to me too. But And it wasn't a carrier, so I missed that too. I love carriers. I ended up going back to my Breen ship. Well, I'll get mine tomorrow, so we'll see. Jace, why don't you try it this week if you're going to get it tomorrow? Maybe uh, give us your input on the Samsar cruiser that players get for free by collecting uh, those cumendations. Speaking of ships, admirals, if you haven't gotten wind, there are a new series of ships being introduced to Star Trek Online. Tier 6 command ships, which will allow players to use the command abilities that are now available with the anniversary event. Now, there is a total of nine ships available. Three for the Federation, three for the KDF, and three for Romulan captains. Now, there was a nice introductory blog by Samuel Swalrus Wall, who is the new lead art for Star Trek Online, and he talked a little bit about the design and, and beauty of the ship, but there's also in that blog some information about how you can get your hands on it. For starters, individually, each ship will cost you 3,000 zen. The faction bundle, so for instance, if you want to get all three of the Federation or only all three of the KDF or only all three of the Romulan, will be 6,000 Zen. And the mega super awesome bundle for all nine ships will cost you and set you back 12,000 Zen. So about two faction packs. Now, these command battle cruisers also feature a hangar bay, which will allow players to use things like shuttles and whatnot. And it also introduces a new mechanic called Inspiration Mechanic. This will allow players that as they use bridge officer abilities to gather some energy to then use special powers while in space combat. First being Against All Odds, which is a team damage buff and weapon power cost reduction. The second one is Battle Preparedness, team bridge officer ability recharge, which is great. You always want those bridge officer abilities to recharge faster. Those attack patterns you always want at your disposal. And the third ability available as you gain inspiration during combat is Turn the Tide, which is a team resistance and whole regen buff. Now, Jace, you compared this to 
another feature in the game. Yeah, it's a little bit similar in some ways to the singularity mechanic that the Romulan ships have. It's not exactly the same, and the things that cause it to increase are uh, a bit different. So it has a, a different flavor. But similarly, you will have a meter that will fill up, and when it's full, you have these abilities that unlock that you can activate. They're clickables. And the, what fills up that meter is the use of bridge officer abilities. Right, and you get a bonus. You'll be able to generate inspiration much more quickly with a group. The idea is that the command ship is your support vessel for a full group of players. Now, of course, the big lore of these ships is that it will allow players to slot command specialist bridge officers and be able to use those abilities like the ones that were demonstrated to us by systems designer Jeremy Bordicus Cryptic Randall on our YouTube channel. Now, these ships actually are pretty nice looking. I mean, the Romulan ships, they are gorgeous. They're probably my favorite of the nine ships. They're just styled beautifully. I wish Federation could play them because I think I would fly these ships. They are beautiful. I'm very fond of the Federation ones, mostly because the more science-oriented variant has an actual, honest-to-goodness, circular saucer. Mm -hmm, For the first time since maybe the Ambassador, maybe the Dervish, sort of, although it has the secondary hull cutting through it. So for fans of more of an old-school look, you got the round saucer, you have an option for a very Excelsior-like neck. Uh, It's interesting. I'm not totally sold on the two pairs, the quad nacelles in pairs, but uh, it's a very pretty ship. Now, Admirals, it's nine ships. Unfortunately, we will not have the time to go through all the specs for each of these ships. Each one of the three per faction comes in their own flavor, of course, and they each have their own mastery trait that you can earn, being that they are Tier 6 starships. So we encourage you to, well, check them out and visit the Star Trek Online website for the details. Now, here's our first community question. Unfortunately, not all of us have the opportunity of purchasing these ships. So if you have, we want to know what your thoughts are. Did you buy all three ships? Did you get all nine of them? And what are your first thoughts? Have you used the four-piece set bonus, any of the set bonuses for any of the consoles that come equipped with them? Essentially, what are your thoughts on these new starships? Do you enjoy them? And what has been your playstyle? Let us know in the comments section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO209 or in the forum post for this episode on the official Star Trek online forums. Now, I do want to talk about that 6,000 Zen price tag. Now, I guess this kind of slipped by me because I wasn't interested in the first series of Tier 6 ships that were available in the C-Store. Well, no, actually, you know what? The first series of Tier 6 ships that were available, I got through the Delta Operations Pack. So I didn't buy the ship separately. So 6,000 Zen roughly equates to about $60. Now, I know that those of you listening for quite some time know that I used to say things like, I'd pay $60 for that. Um, I don't know that I would pay $60 for a set of ships. Especially that they're going to be churning out new ships. Now, the packs used to be 5,000 Zen, if I'm not mistaken. So you could get three ships for 5,000, which was roughly about $50. And I know $10 may not seem like a big deal, but I don't know. I don't know that $60 when there are ships in rotation and you get new ships available to you and they want you to buy ships periodically whenever new ones are introduced. I don't know that that $60 settles well with me. You could always use a free ship like me. Yeah, you could absolutely get by with a free ship. The last bundle I bought was a Delta Operations pack, but I bought it because there was so much more to it, right? There wasn't just about the ships. Well, that's a fantastic deal, yeah. It is. It was a great deal. I mean, it was just fantastic. 
before that, I think the last bundle I bought was the Vesta, and that was only because it was the Vesta. 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 But everything beyond that, I just haven't wanted to invest money in. And so here, these command ships were introduced, and I kind of piqued my interest, but then I saw $60. I saw that price tag. And I kind of got a bit of a sticker shock and thought, mm, no, I don't think I want to spend $60. It's a tricky price point from a marketing perspective because at $60, you're now making people think, huh, I could buy a brand newly released AAA game. I could get GTA V for Xbox One, or you know, I could get the next Skyrim or whatever big name game comes out at that $60 price point where I could get ships in a virtual currency. Now, that's a little bit of a, a fallacy because we've had other things with a higher price point before. It just it happens to weigh in at that right now and feels a little funky, but it's tricky. I'm very interested in the tactical variant, but I really would like to be able to customize them. And I might like to have uh, one of the other two traits. So it becomes this cost efficiency ratio. Do I get the ship with the stats I want, but not have it really look the way I want? Mm -hmm. Do I really need those other traits? Do I make tough decisions about it? I'm not sure. I really like these ships, and this is the first three pack I've really seriously considered getting. I've gotten a few single ships here and there, but a lot of my ships are lobby and lockbox ships. Wish we could build our own ships, like Foundry authors can build their own missions. Oh man. (laughs) You see all kinds of abominations out there. Awesome. Absolute kit bashing. You know, you bring up a good point regarding the mastery trait because like the intelligence ships, I'm sure that these mastery traits probably work well with each other. No? I mean, is that... Unfortunately, I don't know if that's the case. Do these mastery traits between the three faction ships play nicely with each other the way the intel ones do? Sort of. They don't appear to be as linked in the same way, but they definitely are complementary. Certainly the tactical trait looks very desirable in the same way that the other three work together but the phantoms is one that a lot of people use in high-end builds fortunately i like the phantom so i wouldn't have any problem picking that up because i would use it beyond just the trade yeah i'm starting to think that 60 dollars for these tier six ships especially the bundles are a little high priced you know there are other things that i'm spending money in the game for like for instance converting zen into dilithium so that I can buy things like tech upgrades and, you know, and use dilithium for other sinks, you know, reputation system and whatnot, that I would rather at this point do that, convert my Zen into dilithium or buy lockbox keys and convert those in some way, shape or form or trade them. I'm more inclined to do that than I am to spend $60 on a ship. It's just hard for me to, to really justify that purchase especially that there will probably be a better ship coming down the road, you know? True, though that'll always be the case, and it always has been. Right, right. Now, if they were doing this maybe once a year, I could say, okay, all right, well, yeah, I mean, it's only once a year that they release, you know, three packs. But, you know, two or three times a year, maybe four times a year, man, that gets costly. And then if you want all nine ships, that's $120. That's a lot of money, man, a lot of money. I definitely don't play alts enough to get multiple packs like that, but... right. It would be very, you know, it's efficient for people who do, because then you have a wide selection of ships available to all your characters. But Geth Ralkin points out in the Priority One chat, you can wait for the 20% sale. I'm sure, but I think that in terms of marketing and in terms of making money, a company is going to want kind of that impulse first-time buy. And, you know, would you rather have $160 purchases or would you rather have $1,020 purchases, you know, or $30 purchases? So there's our second community question this week. What do you think about the costs for these new bundles? Do you think they're fair? Do you think that maybe they could be adjusted a little bit? 
Let us know your thoughts in the comments section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO209 or on the post for this episode on the official Star Trek online forums. Actually, Cookie. Yes. If you had $60 to spend, what would you buy in the game right now? How much is $60 converted into Zen? 6000 It's about 6000 Yeah, right 6, now you would actually get about... Uh, Hmm. 70 you would get over 7000 so just say free. just say 6000 okay i would buy that ship that has that nadion oh the tempest i would buy that ship how much is that can i get it with that yeah that should be 2500 because that's a tier 5 ship okay so then how much do i have left you would have 3500 left so i'd get that bomb I don't know if I'd use the ship or not. I'd have to test out the ship. I'm sure it's a good ship, right? It's a nice ship. Yeah. Yeah. And then I would buy, let's see, some more outfit slots. You do hang out with the DPS League all the time. I want a Nadion bomb. <laughs> well, that thing is. It doesn't so... Ryan always use that thing? Yeah, that thing is really good. I have a Nadion. I have the Tempest. That's the escort, isn't it? You have it? Why aren't you using it? I don't know. Whoops. Nadion bomb is pro status, bro. You need to start using that and use it in the. Um, all the spheres when they get all close together someone puts a grav well and then just all right so would you buy these ships if you had 60 dollars? would i have enough no because the, i wouldn't have enough left after i get the nadion bomb you see i don't know i don't know that that these ships are you could get one of them yeah you can get one of the ships but i don't know that these ships as a bundle are going to move as much as they kind of hope especially when there's so many other places that you can throw dilithium at so before we get to an editorial, we've got some things on the calendar, don't we, Cookie? The shuttle event starts February 19th and runs through February 23rd. All shuttle queues have increased rewards during this time, and there are new shuttle versions of several existing queues, including, and this was a surprise, no-win scenario and fleet alert. I've done it on fleet alert, and you get a lot of fleet marks for doing this. This is definitely worth your time, but I've never tried it on no-win scenario, and I, and they just took that down, so... Now you can play it on your shuttle, apparently. So that's kind of exciting. Oh, shuttle no win. I never tried that. Yeah. I don't know if that's new or if that was there last time. I think they had it in the last either one or two shuttle events, but I haven't gotten to it yet. Also, in a post by content manager Laughing Trendy, the anniversary event has been extended until March 2nd. So if that mini game hasn't already caused your eyes to fall out of your socket, it'll happen now. Oh, it so will. Or give you really bad carpal tunnel. Or nightmares. You don't have to move your hand that much, just a teeny little bit. What, how are you playing it? I'm running back and forth on my living room floor with the mouse. Isn't that how <laughs> I... You know... You should not be getting carpal tunnel from this game. I have a massive billion-foot television, so I have to run back and forth. I kind of I play Star Trek Online, like, in big when they play on the piano. Oh, so you use the... Um the manual ship control that Riker used. Yes. <laughs> it comes yeah. up out of your floor. Yep. That's exactly what I did. And they fixed the bug for that game. What bug? The bug where you could only craft one at a time. Now you can craft up to five again. So they fixed that. And there's a very handy tool made by Block Knight on Reddit. It's an Omega Particle Calculator. Oh, that's great. You just put in the amount of items you have in each of the boxes, and it will automatically calculate for you how many Omega Tech upgrades you can make out of what you have. Isn't that cool? It's very useful. That is a very useful tool. I have a number in mind where I think I will be happy with the number of tech upgrades I would have. I think 40 is pretty good to have in your bank. Oh my god, that makes my brain hurt. <laughs> I haven't been keeping count, but I've gotten two, okay, I had TAC consoles, 
and they were Mark 12, and they're all Mark 14, and two of them are gold. Nice. And I'm taking a break on that, and I'm working on my shields right now. But yeah, they're so good, those, and you don't have to use dilithium. It's so nice. I'm going to just try to get as many as I can while I can, because it's such a useful tool to have these. I think if I walk away with 40, I'll be happy. 40 would be amazing. The links will be in the show notes for that calculator. I'm lucky if I can do one a day. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> one tech upgrade a day? That's how I've been doing I've only been doing about one a day because I want to free up my other slots. Oh, tech upgrade. I thought you meant like one game a day. No, 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 no. But you're getting better at it now, right, Jace? Uh, yeah, better, definitely. He took a Prozac to keep his hand steady. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I have gotten a couple perfect games, but it's been by total luck. It's not consistent. You know, it's interesting. So they adjusted the prizes, right? And I don't know if I like the way they adjusted the reward system or the payout, rather, for the minigame because... Before, I was definitely getting way more shards and fragments than I am now. However, now I'm definitely getting slivers, and I'm also getting the three quantity of the color trace, so I don't know if that ends up balancing out, but, you know, canceling each other out. It is actually, statistically, it should be faster now. You just have to do more crafting. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, and that's okay. that's better. I get about one shard a day and maybe one... I mean, randomly, one shard and then one fragment maybe every two days. I've gotten one of those each since last week. Well, I, how long are you playing, though? So I'm playing for, like, at least 45 minutes. I'm playing that stupid minigame. Yeah. Oh, you're doing way more. Like I said, I'm averaging, like, one tech upgrade a day. There was one day where I did, like, three, but then I had to take a break yesterday before I broke my mouse. <laughs> I was raging at the crafting system. But that's a rant for How another week. How are you guys week. playing this game? No, no, no. This isn't about the game. This was after I used the tech upgrades and got nothing. My experience with the random number generator just got worse and worse the more items I upgraded. Oh. And then I crafted a couple items for friends and like one got crappy mods and the other one didn't get ultra rare. So it's like, man, I'm trying to do something nice for somebody else and like, I can't craft what I want. So next week is going to be your soapbox, right? Uh, it's possible. I might make a Vulcan rant. Because <laughs> this week, I'm going to rant. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. So, Admirals, let's get one thing straight here. Star Trek Online does not have a grind problem. Star Trek Online's problem is that it has strictly gated progression that the developers are still having issues balancing properly in mission rewards. When players continue to cry generalizations, they are generalizing and downplaying the fundamental issues with the game and in turn, painting a picture of spending hours in the same location, killing the same enemies in order to reach an ultimate goal. Now, before you start screaming Argala at me, developers like Auravera have already addressed that issue and acknowledged that payouts in Argala versus other content is, in fact, imbalanced. We heard this acknowledged by Auravera, but you don't have to grind for XP in Argala. You can earn XP through queues, through doffs and missions. Players are attached to Argala because it's the path of least resistance. And therefore, you're choosing to quote-unquote grind on the same map and kill the same enemies. And don't come screaming at me that, no, they're forcing me to do that because I'm not playing Argala and you don't have to either. The closest thing to a grind is the reputation system because you are required to play the same content over and over in order to earn the appropriate marks. 
That's more like a grind. Kill a bajillion Undine, Voth, Borg, whatever. But even the reputation system has been improved with the choice for marks in some, if not a majority, of the mission content. The real problem with Star Trek Online is not the rate at which you progress through new systems like the specialization tree or how long it takes, but that rewards for the content that you play is sorely imbalanced. The issue with Star Trek Online is not that there's a grind, but that there is a payout imbalance between various playable content in-game. But you know what? We addressed that too during our interview. And we were explained that a rebalancing was coming soon. So I'm going to be honest. When January rolled around, I was bored with Star Trek Online. And that's sad because there is a ton of content to play through the queues. But I was essentially logging in for maintenance, running those big XP payout doffs, upgrading my equipment, logging out. With dozens of missions in the queue, none of it called my attention or felt worth it for me to play. And why? Because the payout isn't handsome enough for me. Therefore, I progressed through the specialization tree at doff pace. But wait, wait a minute. I spoke with Auravera about this. We talked about finding ways of incentivizing queues and getting players to play those missions. So again, there isn't a grind because you have options. You can play various pieces of content. The problem is that those options just don't offer a worthy payout. So it feels like an impossible task for casual players to progress through something like the specialization tree when the path of least resistance is killing Kazon over and over again in Argala. In an ideal world, I should be able to log in, run something like a Space Borg STF cycle, and feel like I made a dent towards my next spec point, while also earning additional little rewards here and there. I recognize there's an earnings problem for things like XP, but guess what? So do the devs, and they acknowledged it, and they're working at balancing those rewards. But I'm not quote-unquote grinding at Argala because I'm simply waiting for them to rebalance the mission rewards so that I have a reason to explore the queues again. Earning a new specialization point should probably feel less like a struggle to get to level 61 and finding the most XP payout content, and more like a pleasant surprise after playing the game content. Like, ooh, I got a new spec point. Awesome. Not, oh my god, how long before I get a new point? What do I have to do to earn XP in this game? That's not Argala. But you can make the game a grind and keep killing those Kazon. Or you can sit back, relax, vote with your wallet, and wait for them to better incentivize reward structures for content in Star Trek Online. Like they said they were going to do twice in two different interviews. No, actually, you make a lot of good points. I mean, some of it's semantics, talking about what is or isn't a grind, which you know is an axe that I grind, as it were, from time to time. And I think, to play devil's advocate, you come from a place of, if a dev says something, you basically trust it to eventually work out, and you're fairly patient. I mean, relatively patient. Some folks are frustrated with the delays and the fact that we get things like the nerf to marks before they even announce that there's going to be these other buffs to rewards. But even that is hampered by the fact that they actually buffed as many cues as they nerfed. It's just on Tribble, it was two separate weeks, and it was ground versus space and such, but it's debatable. I don't know, some people I think feel burned, and so they they don't necessarily trust what the devs have to say, and I think that Salami and Al are both trying to repair that rift with their recent communications. I, I hope it works out. So do I. I'm looking forward to those reward boosts and see what we've got. But I'm sure that many of you will have comments about my rant and my opinion. So I look forward to your constructive criticism because we received a lot of great feedback 
uh, regarding last week's interviews, particularly the concern that something like the specialization tree takes far too long to progress through. And again, I recognize that, just like I recognized the mastery trait as well as the level gate for the missions for Delta Rising. But, you know, you're right. It's semantics. You know, grind for one person isn't grind for another one. But in this case, when people started to explain to me what their specific issues were with the game, okay, that's what they're referring to as grind, right? Because when all I'm seeing is grind this, grind that, grind this, finally we had some feedback from several players on the Priority One website as well as the forums to say, okay, it's not just about killing the same enemy, it's about some of the progression. And again, we addressed a lot of that with our Rivera. So I'm looking forward to the rebalancing of these missions so that I can progress through things like the specialization tree and be able to make my technical manuals and earn some of these awesome abilities in space and ground. Yeah, I think the XP from ground, adventure zone, battle zone missions will help because that's already seen as a really good place to earn dilithium. So if you can get XP at a reasonable pace at the same time, that would be good. Perhaps what feels grindy at times is doing something that only rewards you in a one-dimensional way. Like Argala or another patrol, you don't get much out of it other than XP, right? You get some loot that you can vendor. I mean, that's nice, I guess, but in the same amount of time that you spend getting, you know, maybe a million that way, you could make more on the exchange if you're really dedicated to it. But being able to get, hey, here's some marks, here's some dilithium, and here's a decent amount of XP through doing something that's kind of like fun and dynamic that's a better model i think and it looks like that's what they're going towards and i hope that's what we see well that wraps up star trek online news for this week we want to know your opinions let us know on the comment section for this episode on priority one podcast.com forward slash po209 or on the forum post for this episode on the official star trek online forums now let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming message coming in sir hailing frequencies open see we are getting to know each other all right admirals we're at the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages first i'd like to give a shout out to at mad mikey for shooting me a pm the other night uh, congratulating the team on another great year on priority one podcast in star trek online so thanks for reaching out mad mikey i hope to see you in the priority one chat more often now, our community question last week was, for those of you fortunate enough to have gotten your hands on one of the new ships from the lockbox, what were your thoughts? Do you have a loadout that seems to be working well, and what's your DPS output looking like if you're parsing? Now, it seems that only one of you have had your hands on this ship. Jace? And in fact, it's the Samsar. He must have had some cumendations left over from last year or done some low-buy turn-ins because Zeranser which I swear we take turns in who gets to mangle your name. <laughs> Zeranser writes on the Star Trek Online forum post for this episode, I've really been falling in love with my new Samsar. The new anchored space trait from the Vodwar box turns the ship into a real stationary monster with its supplementing command abilities. It's very easy to get four stacks, and that 20% bonus damage is very noticeable, as is the resistance debuff. You need a tanky ship, which the Samsar is. The Samsar is, at its core, still a support ship that works best in conjunction with other ships, though. Also, as a side note, the Samsar's console can be equipped on any ship. It's a pretty powerful console that puts even the Assimilated 2-set in its prime to shame. Hmm. I read that part about putting the Assimilated 2-set to to shame. Um, really? I haven't tried it yet. I guess I'll see. And keep in mind that console forms a set with the new Command Cruisers consoles. I mean, I use the assimilated cell. I mean, I use the kinetic cutting beam 
and the assimilated console. And so if that's the set that he's talking about, yeah, the assimilated two set. No, he means the old days of using the two piece, like using the engine and the deflector for the for the oh. hull healing. Because that gave really good hull regeneration. Lastly, I suggest tactical captains check out the Polaron Bombardment Kit Module from the Vodwar box. It's basically a wide area orbital strike that works great in conjunction with suppressing fire, snare, or photon grenades, knockdown. Uh, just to answer um, Brian 101st, no, I have used the two-piece. It's just been so long. I mean, I, I, don't, I haven't used it on my builds in quite some time. I thought he was talking about the existing, the one that most players, I think, still have, which is the two-piece with... The, the weapon and console. Yeah, very commonly used. So we move into a discussion about grinding in Star Trek Online because it seems I ruffled some feathers last week when I said that I spoke for the silent majority that don't believe that there is a grind in Star Trek Online. So we hear from a few people. Cookie. Seti Tim posted on PriorityOnePodcast.com. Thanks again for the podcast. Good job, everyone. In regards to the grind in STO, I want to bring up a few points. He mentions a lot of things, but just one of the things he said was, it's not just about experience grind. There is the experience specialization grind, but also reputation grind, crafting grind, item upgrade grind, time-gated special event grinds. It all snowballs. As the word suggests, it can grind a player down and severely decrease motivation to play as enjoyment leeches away. Well, we you know touched base on this a little earlier. I think that um, yeah, the reputation system. Now, I don't. I'm not a crafter. I've said that I'm not a crafter. Jace, you've been uh, having some fun in the crafting, and hopefully, maybe next week you can talk to us about that. Yeah, if if any of my furniture survives. <laughs> you know, and in terms of item up grade grind i can feel that a little bit too mm-hmm. but you know that's just the nature of the beast in terms of the upgrading i don't see i don't I, i'm not hurting enough from it that i want to see it be cheaper like jay said earlier during stone news the term grind is a, a matter of semantics but um i don't know the the word grind it just i all i can think of when when if if you know what i think about i think about players that like Cookie, who maybe never have played an MMO before, and then they hear grind in passing when somebody's discussed, you know, describing Star Trek Online, or they're or they're reading the forums and they're seeing grind, 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 and then they read it and they go to the first thing that pops into the head, their head, which is you know like the first thing in a, a, a game like World of Warcraft, sitting in one spot killing a hundred bo- uh, wild boar. So I think of it like a job, like you got to go to yeah, work and I just, just do the monotonous paper filing all day. That's what I think of. I just don't think you can generalize the problems in Star Trek Online to that one word. Well, for me, the item upgrade was kind of like overwhelming, but since we have this new way to get these Omega Tech upgrades and they're so great, it was just what I needed. It really was. Now I I feel a lot better about upgrading my items. Like Maybe I can actually do it. Whereas before it was kind of like, oh, someday. I don't know if I ever will. Word Collis commented via PriorityOnePodcast.com, Hey guys, great show. I love it when you do long shows like this one. I really want to weigh in on the grind part. The spec grind is huge and feels like it. The reason behind this is without at least one full primary and secondary tree, there's a void, a vacuum that lacks power. By lacking a full tree that can be active, you're lacking a level of power. And when it takes two to six hours for the average person to gain a single spec point, it can be very frustrating to try to be at that level and face that content. It feels like a cat chasing a laser. It's always just out of reach. I'm sure many have this kind of feeling. 
I can understand that. Something that I like in games generally is to be able to create sort of an elegant build, as I put it. Um, you know, builds are never truly complete because the games always change and rebalance and new things get added. But I will not really feel like my character is baked until he gets to that top level. Um, has, like you say, a spec tree primary and secondary to use honestly until it's fully filled out and I'm not someone who plays at the time investment level that I'm likely to max out the spec trees before another one gets released so it's I, I agree it's it's a struggle I am hoping that some of these updates change that um, so that I can play content that rewards me in multiple ways at once like we were talking about so that's my take on that you know I Something to add to that is that I, you know, one of the ways to earn that XP, you know, when Skiffy first introduced it to us was that those DOF missions, right? The DOF missions on the Solonate Dyson Sphere as well as in the Delta Quadrant. And, man, I get a huge chunk of XP when I wrap those missions. But I don't want to do DOF. I want to do that and also have that feeling when I play missions, when I play cues. So... I think that is therein lies the problem is that the reward balancing in the game is really just struggling right now and 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 they said they're working on it. So. Remy ten eighty one writes on the Star Trek online forum post for this episode. Well I think a skill tree revamp is needed before any PvP PvE balance. I fear that when they're done with the skill tree revamp, they'll feel the need for more content. Don't get me wrong, I love new content, but it's seriously time for anything PvP related. So the discussion and bringing up something like PvP and content, it brings up a good uh, a good point. So on Thursday, the day that this podcast is recorded, uh, they released on the forums a poll for players to participate in and uh, voice their opinion on, on what would you, the player, like to see more of in Star Trek Online? Now, this was a poll that we talked about with Steven Ricosa. Uh, it was actually something that you, our listeners, suggested that we ask him. And lo and behold, barely a week later, we have a poll. And right now, the leader of the poll is Exploration Missions, followed by more episodes, followed by PvPQs. Um, so... You know, that those exploration missions, they are at the top of the list. I don't know that we're going to ever see the type of development that some players would like to see with PvPQs. And it's not like they're not... I don't think PvPers necessarily want PvPQs. They just want the existing PvP situation to be fixed. Right. PvP is stuck in a little bit of a vicious cycle, right? Because it, it has some problems and has been somewhat underdeveloped. And as a result, people use it less, and some people who that's their main focus might leave, and so if they were to roll out a new PvP feature, they might see, well, that's a small return on investment. So then they do less with PvP, and more of those people get frustrated, and, you know, it can spiral down. With a, Especially with a game that's been around five years, it's tough to do an if-you-build-it-they-will-come with what would essentially be a, a heavily revamped new segment of the game. Um, I think it's possible. I mean, I have had some fun doing PvP and STO, and I'm not a PvP-oriented player by any stretch of the imagination, but the concept of it is cool and entertaining. Some of the funnest times I've had in the game was PvP, and I haven't done it very often, but 
when it's a big group against a big group, I love that. And then one-on-one -on -one is fun too, but that's, I think that's where you see a lot more of the problems, but. Now, well, here's the other thing too, is that I think that PVP, Alvera said this, and I don't think people really heard what he said. He said that the game just isn't for PVP. It's not the, it's not the atmosphere that this game has established, right? Now, arguably, one can say, well, that's because PvP was broken from the beginning. Okay, that, 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 that may be the case. But I don't think that people coming into Star Trek Online are thinking, Oh my god, I can't wait to PvP in Star Trek Online. I'm not saying that they might not be on, on one of their list of things to do, and they might not be disappointed, but I think that players are coming into Star Trek Online to live the Star Trek fantasy, to be the captain of their ship. And how often did you ever see, you know, uh, sure you saw some battles against the Klingons or the Cardassians, but not often, not often, you know, Deep Space Nine, it was like four episodes that you saw some really big battles. Um, it's it's just not the the what the game is about. Now, I would I would love to see like territory control, things like that, that type of PvP. And Al talked about this a little bit. I would love to see that kind of PvP. I think I'd participate with that uh, in those types of events. Um, but, you know, the one-on-one, -on -one, who can gank who first, I, I don't know that this is... I don't know that this is appropriate for a Star Trek game. Now, there are going to be people who be like, well, are dinosaurs appropriate for Star Trek games? I mean, it's dinosaurs. I mean, everybody has their opinion. But you know what I really love about this poll? Is that this is really going to just, like, show the community on itself. It's going to, like, a mirror onto the community, onto the forumites to themselves, right? Because you have people that are like, oh my god, everybody wants PvP, but no, no. Everybody wants exploration missions. I don't know. Not everybody. They need to give it more time. I think they should extend this poll. It'll give people more of a chance to know about it, because I just found out about it today. I think so, too. I really think that they, they really need to give this poll more time. What if I went out of town for the weekend? I know. <laughs> And a lot of our own listeners don't go to the forums. They don't know about this poll. They're not going to know about this poll, yeah. which is sad. And I really wish that they would extend this poll for another week, you know, for people that don't. Cookie, you yourself didn't visit the forums until you joined the show. And I still, I mean, I don't very often still. Yeah, I think that, you know, this, this poll should be on the front page of Star Trek Online. It should be extended for the podcasts, not just ours, to be able to promote it and, and get it out there. So we got some feedback regarding our video with Bordicus on YouTube uh, regarding the demonstration on command abilities. And so Mosul33 wrote in and said, Thanks to Bordicus for taking the time to explain the command skill tree and the space powers. Maybe in the future, ground ones too? I think that's doable. Maybe we should consider that. I don't see why not. Yeah, I would like to see that. Maymay2 commented on the Star Trek Online forum post for this episode, I like Bordicus's vid. Made me enthusiastic about command stuff again. Although I personally think introducing yet another totally different class of ships so soon after Intel ships was too soon, maybe. But we'll see. I'd rather seen my fleet phantom first. We also heard from Wait What at Brain Cluttered on Twitter. I'm listening to this week's at STO Priority One. How can I learn to be as diplomatic as Captain Gecko? Get that guy an ambassadorship. Smiley face emoticon. I don't know that that was a compliment. <laughs> I don't know how to read that. No, anyway. Al, Al was very diplomatic during that interview. Sometimes he is a little, like, oh, okay. brutal and to the point. I th thought he was pretty diplomatic this time. It varies. I wasn't sure if that was just some passive-aggressive no, way. No. All right. I don't think so. 
You can see there's a smiley. It's not a winky face. Because it's a smile. You can't oh, see okay. this, listeners, but there's a smiley at the end. So I that quit makes that. it okay. I said that. Oh, okay. I'm just oh, reminding. I'm just reminding. Okay. Each week, our social media channels are busy with your thoughts, opinions, and suggestions for the show. Please keep them coming. Reach out to us on facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast. Follow us on Twitter at STO Priority One or shoot an email to us at incoming at priority one podcast.com. Well, that wraps up episode 209 of Priority One Podcast. Be sure to catch our episodes every Monday morning by pointing your podcast catchers to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. Admirals, you know we love hearing from you. Let us know what you think of the show and submit your responses for our community questions in the comment section on our site or on the STO forum post for this episode. This week's community question is twofold. If you have purchased the command ship bundle, any of the bundles or the overarching bundle, what do you think of them so far? What would you consider their pros and cons? And secondary, for those of you who purchased or perhaps even were deterred from purchasing by the prices, what do you think about the bundle and individual ship price changes that have accompanied tier six ships? Let us know your thoughts in the comments section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com or in the official post for this episode on the Star Trek online forums. Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following our social media websites. Head over to Facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast and give us a like. Or check us out on Twitter via at STO Priority One. You can even join the Priority One Podcast chat in-game. Just type forward slash channel underscore join space Priority One. Admirals, we want to thank you for your ongoing support of Priority One Podcast. With your support, we have already hit our monthly running costs, and we are so very grateful to all our patrons. Don't forget, even if you can't offer financial support, sharing our show with your friends is another great way to show us your support. And don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency Podcast at GuardFrequency.com, covering the ongoing development of Chris Roberts' upcoming space sim, Star Citizen. If you like this show, then listening to Guard Frequency is the logical choice. The Priority One fleet is recruiting. If you're interested in joining, just shoot us an email with your at handle and we'll be sure to send you an invite. The email is incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. And now you can join our Klingon fleet division, Warriors of Priority One. Today is a good day to join. And join the Twitch cast giveaway hosted by the Priority One fleet on February 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern. Thanks to the entire team behind Priority One Podcast, including our audio engineer, Ben Churchill, with support from audio assistants, Admiral Winters, and Frederick Redegard. And QA support staffer, Midnight Shadow 7. You can catch Midnight Shadow as he hosts Tribbles and Ecstasy. Thanks to our graphic artist, Romulan Ale, to all of our bloggers and their managing editor, L, to the writer of our prelude dramas, Jake Morgan, to our video editor, Jerry Tillman, to Chris Trone, our new social media manager. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. But most importantly, Admirals, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek online community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. Engage.
Transfer complete. All right, Admirals, we're at the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for... Did I say hailing frequencies? Them there hailing frequencies. This is Elijah Long Johns. Them there hailing frequencies. Mm -hmm. This is Bertha Long Johns. (laughs) (laughs) Lastly, I suggest tactical captains check out the polar arm... I have no idea what word that I just said. Pole arm. This never winter. <laughs> I was gonna be like, they didn't see any sales, so they offered this fifteen percent. Uh, but but no, it's not. It's not. Save true. it for the forums. Save it for the forums. <laughs> Thanks, Obama. <laughs> yes, the shuttle weekend. Sorry, I was distracted. Yes, the, the shuttle. shuttle. <laughs> what am I saying? The opinions expressed in this segment represent the views of Elijah Leandros and do not necessarily represent the views of Priority One or his other hosts. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get one thing straight here. I speak for the silent majority. No, I'm kidding. Okay. Is that wine? Sorry. I thought okay. I'd take this opportunity to pour some wine. Thanks.